I'm Greg Dollar Coleman. Welcome to Ellipses Thinking, a podcast dedicated to exploring the nature of the creative journey in process. If an ellipses builds the perfect bridge from where you've both been and are now to where you're next meant to be, then what intrigues me most lives in the spaces between those three tiny dots. If you live in Edmonton and have been in any number of schools, community or cultural centers, and places generally where people meet, you have likely passed by, hopefully admired some of Theo Harasimu's visual art. She is best known for her large, colorful, graphic, and often whimsical murals found all over the city, most of which were created for communities, in community, and in the process deepened the very foundation of the community. I think if I go back far enough, um, because I've always done murals, uh, the bigger the better, as I always said, uh, because then you transform spaces, and I and I like the feeling of transforming spaces. But as I was doing that, and even when I would travel, I would always try to incorporate or involve as many people as possible because they loved it, and a lot of people don't get that opportunity. And no matter where I was in my travels, if I was sketching on the beach or I was painting murals in hostels, because that's how I did that for a while, it brings out a curiosity and and who doesn't want to be a part of that? So I I learned quite young that if we can involve as many people as possible, they get to own part of that. Theo's visual palette includes equally vivid collections of acrylic paint and assembled bits and pieces of porcelain, bone china, artifacts, and the miscellany that will find new meaning and pattern in the creation of one of her mosaics. Personally, I find the greatest joy and likely accuracy to be in her Instagram profile in which Theo introduces herself as seeker of all things creative, nurturer of art in others, mother and life enthusiast. On that note, let me welcome you and thank you for joining me in conversation today. Thank you, Greg. I think you are probably aware uh, that one of the intentions of these conversations is to to simply be in a space of curiosity. Um, and that as, as host, my role seems to be to open that space up and set a table for our time. And so mm-hmm. using that metaphor, let me say that from the first time we connected last year when I had reached out and said, please, can we, can we get together and talk? Through the preparation for today, I've come to admire the paths that you have walked and the ones that you are on today. And I just had this really strong sense of, of wishing to place three items, perhaps like an ellipses, on our table for discussion. Mm. So on that table, I'd love it if we were able to explore the purpose and intention behind and within your own creativity. So how do you see yourself as creator? Secondly, I'm very aware of the way in which community lies at the heart of who you be. The work, the the collaborative nature of, uh, and how it builds. 
community so much of what you do. And thirdly, and that's something you brought up in our preliminary conversation, your idea of letting go, or in your words, shedding. Mm -hmm. um, so recognizing that like any great meal, the flavors are going to likely gain by, uh, by how they blend together. I'm wondering if we might begin by, uh, by, by, by picking up the first of those and, and just exploring purpose. And to lead into that, perhaps to set some context, can you share a bit about the most immediate work that you're creating, which, as I understand, has been inspired by a long walk you took with your son last fall? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have been retracing my steps of the Camino Portugues in a visual format in preparation for a show I'm having in March. Um, but I didn't realize I, this wasn't something I had planned for a long time. I didn't even know I was going to do this while I was walking the Camino. But um, when I sat down to begin preparation for what my show should be about, it only seemed obvious that that would be included since it was so poignant and it was such a fertile experience that um, I only wanted to continue the, the journey in a visual format. So yes, I'm mm. recreating literally from day one to day 13 in a mosaic. So as you say, that was not your intention. What was it that took you on this walk? Uh, the original hike with Vincent? Well, uh, yeah. a number of years ago, uh, I intentionally uh, chose to try to develop the love of walking in my children when they were quite young. Mm. Um, we live in a city with one of the largest green belts in North America, and it was a coincidence that I live on one side and their school was on the other side. And so I thought, well, what a great opportunity to instill this passion to get them from point A to B. And so I would pack morning breakfast, walking breakfasts, and we would trek through the river Valley to get them to school. And Vincent, predominantly more Vincent would express how much he loved the walking part. And one day he just asked, how long would it take us to walk to Saskatchewan? And I thought, Oh gosh, that's a drab walk. <laughs> and I said, well, it would probably take us a few weeks, but we'd have to follow the highway, and I don't think that would be very exciting. And he said, oh. And I said, but I do know of another walk you might enjoy. And so he was, he was 10 when we had this discussion. And I said, I think we should hike the Camino. And he said, okay. What's that? <laughs> well, he didn't even ask what's that. He just said, I'm in. Uh, oh, that's So... <laughs> But of course, I did all the research. He just wanted to show up. And, and so we were supposed to do it when he was 12, hmm. being a cusp on the cusp of um, going into puberty and such. And I thought the timeline would have been great. And then coincidentally, COVID hit at literally the day that we, we flew to Lisbon. Got no. there. Yeah, we got there. I didn't, I spoke to a number of people to see if it would be as bad on the other end or. And uh, even my doctor said, no, go. Sick people don't hike the Camino. And <laughs> <laughs> Well, we knew so little. <laughs> we did. So I, I was bound and determined. And so we flew out to Lisbon. And what I w we witnessed on the other side was, no, we have to come home. And so we rebooked our flight. We went for dinner 
um, hiked around, did a tour of Lisbon, went for a very expensive dinner, um, and flew home at five o'clock the next morning. So, and and then literally our backpacks sit sat in the corners of our, our rooms, waiting to when the next opportunity for a time. happen. For a time, huh. yeah. And so, as you said, you 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 didn't intend to document or at least to create artwork. As I understand it, you you made almost an intentional choice to not, you know, be on social media or be on uh, on your phones or on your cameras. So, so yeah. what changed? Well, because I'm I'm sort of a little bit of a luddite anyway. It it was already sort of a, in our heads that. I wouldn't be documenting. Okay. I might take photos for inspiration, but I said, no, for this, we won't. But we took a few days in Porto to sort of acclimate and get ready. And just what I was witnessing around me um, and getting ready for this, something prompted me to say, I think I should, I should be posting this for people who might benefit from um, even a, a marginal glimpse of what this looks like because they might realize they can do this. Mm. And uh, it, it, I think it was because it was just the, the simplicity of it and the beauty of it and, and walking out of these two years of stress and there's just so much upheaval that this walk for me was literally like a walk in the park. And, and, and I thought so many people could, I mean, there was nothing hard about it and it, and it was just beautiful. So I, I had space. There was a yeah. beautiful capacious moment to photograph a few items that called and then put the phone away and then spend all of like six minutes in the evening and post a few things and just let it go. Yeah. I guess what, what strikes me so beautifully about that. And if I may, it does not sound quite like the way the majority of us, I'll include myself in that, but the world, um, see the canvas of social media. It seems to be a place where I'm going on this trip and I'm going to pose all of these fabulous photographs beside all of these fabulous things that I have done and, mm. and to almost, you know, use incredible artistic license with my own autobiography, as we know, to create the perfect story. Mm. Um, that's not, to be hypercritical of, of the of the mass of us uh, that are out there, but what I love about it is is that sense of you're giving um, a glimpse into to those who might aspire or be inspired by. And so, as you came home, at what point did it become uh, apparent to you that there was more than just a, a collection of photographs that you had shared, but rather? something else calling you. I, I know that there's a show upcoming, but it, was it as simple as that? This fits the bill or was there something more? I had spent a little bit of time prior to the Camino trying to figure out what the show would be. Um, and, and then as I was preparing for the Camino, I, I sort of forgot about the show since it was almost a year away. And upon returning I knew that there was nothing else. There was no room for anything else to fit into my being or my experience that would get my attention. Hmm. The, the Camino had consumed me. And the irony is 
it wasn't like most people say where it's this life altering, you know, you're going to experience this or that. It was nothing like Shirley Valent or Shirley MacLaine's <laughs> experience. It was just very simple. But what it did do was consume me for the next six months in terms of way I wanted to live my life, what my thoughts went to, what, how I was choosing to live. And so there was no way I could focus on anything else but this to make the show out of. Huh. And so where are you in that process, if you don't mind my, my saying? I'm on day nine. <laughs> so, so it's, <laughs> you haven't said it as I must finish in the same number of days as I want. No, it's much it. longer. Yes. The create, yeah. creating of it is much longer than actually hiking it. And the show is actually, I did two pilgrimages last year. So one uh -huh. was with my son on the Camino and one was with my daughter and two dear girlfriends where I returned to uh, an island I lived in Greece 25 years ago. So there will be two parts to the show based on my two pilgrimages. Hmm. So I'm I'm focusing on the Camino right now, which has been just just so magnificent and um and playful hmm. um because i every day i get to the, the a new part and i think well what will this be and so then i scroll through my photos and i wait for what calls to me that day and i see it and i go ah oh, that that will be that will be good and it's really turning into a tapestry and I'm hearing in that, again, not uncommon language for an artist to be open and available to be called to, to find that source material or that inspiration. But you're not turning to a palette of colors and, you know, or, or palette and, and squeezing paint out. You're turning to a pile of possibilities. Mm -hmm. And for many people, we've got some reference point for, for a, a painter and what a painter might do. But how is it just tell tell us a little bit more about about the process of then turning to your collection and being called or having it call out to say i am a part of that particular flower on the side of that particular path hmm. how how does that work do you know i think one of the things that i carried out of of the camino was emptiness and space and uh and I didn't think a lot I communicated with Vincent and we had very very light conversations ranging from how what's your favorite cheese and how, what would you rate your cheese that you like mom because I've only just discovered gouda and I think that's really quite up there um and his obsession with yo-yos which consumed a lot of our walk and I so I emptied um and shed and so as I'm creating, I'm, I'm not thinking. I'm feeling into texture, into the materials that are calling to me. I'm using a lot of natural materials, a lot of rock, uh, marble, snail shells. Uh, hmm. the, the natural materials are calling me more than, say, some of the glass or the, the handmade stuff. I also brought a number of tiles back from uh, Porto that I bought thinking I could do something really beautiful, but no, I guess they were just going to get smashed anyway. Mm. <laughs> so, but uh, so yeah, I, I try not to hold 
anything too dear or significant. I don't attach to anything that it's got to be something. I'm waiting to see how it calls forth mm. its purpose. And if I'm not mistaken, you had shared with me that there are materials or pieces in the possibility pile that you have had for a long time that, that yeah. you wondered if you would ever find purpose or place for. And here yeah. they are. Yeah, and I guess this is also part of the shedding process because I've looked at these pieces for years and years and years and remember where I bought them and I've, you know, caressed them and loved them and and I thought, Jesus, if I can't give it up now, like I'm I'm going to become one of those people. <laughs> so uh-huh. I'm I'm loving the the opportunity to smash and break and um, play with this material, some of the material that I've had over ten years. <laughs> So again, and I'm, I, I forgive me, please do not let me impose a meaning. I love that you said I'm not holding dear to, I'm not making precious. I'm just, I'm just being present to. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm hearing that. Uh, and, and, and yet this whole, this whole area of this conversation opened up with my curiosity about purpose and intention. And, and, and we, we crossed that path a little bit with, with at least my, my, understanding of the purpose of wishing to you know to provide inspiration or let people know that they can do this too Mm -hmm. when you think about what draws you to wishing to create and put something out into the world is there a common thread why do i do it generally speaking yeah why do you do what you do you know uh very little of it has to do with me And I realized that I think at a very young age when I started doing permanent installations in schools because I couldn't get attached to anything because I never kept any of it. And it was a really amazing lesson because for 22 years, I left art all over Edmonton. And literally the minute I finished, I picked up my paints in my bucket and I walked out the door and I've often never seen them again. Um, so I sort of see myself as a facilitator, as a, uh, conduit, as a, I don't know, something that feeds through me. Um, even over COVID when I had a very large commission for St. John's cultural center, which was for me, some of the most amazing works, Hmm. I never felt sadness or I just wanted, I just want the work to be out there and to inspire others and to tell the story. Most of my works are visual stories. And so the story and having it seen is what's most important. Hey, I'm Sayer and I love Marvel. And I'm Kaylee and I love someone who loves Marvel. (laughs) And we're watching through the entire Marvel Cinematic Universe or MCU in release order. There's another order. For Kaylee's first time. And Sayers 85th. <laughs> Wherever you listen to podcasts, you can find MCU and me. Sayers obsessed. And Kaylee's the best. MCU and me. You just referred to, and I was curious about, and I, as I understand, it's just a little under a year ago that you completed completed the large-scale mosaic um, that was commissioned by the Edmonton chapter of the Ukrainian Women's Association of Canada, yes? Mm-hmm. And 
and it serves to visually represent the past, present, and future of that organization and their contributions and their history. Yeah. It was a three-year three year undertaking, long, long commitment to. Um, yeah, a, not three years straight, but okay. about four months per year. Okay. Yeah. And 12 panels that have been since installed. Yes. The final four, you made the choice to do all in white or off-white. Yeah. Um, talk to us about that choice. What was that about? Well, that was an interesting one, which I really tried not to think about until I had to face it. <laughs> because um, as I was talking to, with the community about their visions and their thoughts, uh, and even talking with other artists and, and thinking, you know, the past was in sepia tones and sort of older earthy tones and the present well, there's nothing more vibrant than the present because we're in it. So is the future, some people would say it's brighter. Um, but I can't recall who it was, but one person says, but it hasn't even been painted yet. So what if it was neutral? And from that, I really love the idea of the whites, the silvers, because I wanted each phase to be very distinct in the hall. And being a colorist, for me to work in whites and creams and neutrals reduce it. Well, no, it doesn't reduce you, but it peels it back to mainly texture or finish, which is really a beautiful experiment. And it ended up, I, I, it was just so ethereal and, and I loved it so very much to have those in the whites and the silvers and the golds and mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And even the headdress on the woman, I ended up using those porcelain flowers that maybe some of our great aunts had in their homes right. that collected a lot of dust. Yep. Um, and so I got a lot of donations from these and I thought, what the heck am I going to do with these? And I broke them up. And then I, and then, and then in, in Ukrainian culture, the headdress of the flowers is so so poignant and so beautiful and so I just started laying them around the drawing of her head and I thought oh my gosh I'm on to something and so her headdress is out of all of these flowers but because I wanted them neutral I had spray painted them white with a little bit of the color coming through and it it really it was a, a moment of sort of patting myself on the on the shoulder and well, good on you, Theo. That was good use of those flowers. <laughs> Shed those. <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. And there's something about it. Sounds like there's something about you just trusting in the blank palette, in the in in the in the whiteness of the possibility of, of, of what what that could be, and the hope. And and mm. I, you know, there's a there was a prescient nature to that in in that. It was around about the time you were f- finishing it that you woke up, as we all did, to hear the, the devastating news of of, of Ukraine and and and, yeah. the, uh, and the war. Was it always a part then for you in your plan to continue on with? As I I, I think, if I'm following and tracking your last year, one of your next major 
collaborations was was with uh, with, with Larissa Simblick uh, Chaladin on the on on the printing block mosaic. Is that? Yeah, we were we were already on it. We'd already started it, and there was an overlap. So okay. I think the, we were moving, shifting the blocks, and Larissa was in the cleaning and um, scanning, and I would sort of pop in and out and check where things were. Yeah. And we hadn't moved to our final location of where of when we were going to start creating. So yeah, there was a there was overlap in there. Um, I, I mean, we were bookended with Ukrainian cultural projects coming at us from everywhere in the midst of this. Yeah, and and you know, I guess I, I, it's interesting, and I, I I'm not trying to 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 create the narrative. It was it, this was your story. Um, it wasn't that you that you necessarily set that up because it was a time when people were very aware of the the need and the desire to 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 pull hope and to and to tell a story. Um, I just found that a very powerful thing to be watching on the side. As as you know, I, I had the opportunity to to speak with Larissa about the importance of of artistic voice in times of uh, of despair or or devastation. Uh, mm-hmm. And and again, you know, this is I, I pose that to you in in the same way. Is were, were you consciously aware of the contributions you might be making to people's hearts at that time? Uh, yes. Uh, and it, and it became, um, it came to me as I was driving my children to school that day and I heard the news and I think it was March or February 24th. Mm-hmm. And I, the, the news of what was happening and the, the bombings and, and such when the story, cause we were listening to the news and then I just burst into tears and I was sobbing and, and I dropped the kids off and then I got to, to the studio and I had, had just started this last panel and I sort of put my head down and, and I said, this has changed everything mm-hmm. for this last panel. And I called Christy Morin on arts on the app and i said i need to get media down here and i don't know who to call she's like i'll have them there tomorrow morning and so then i was interviewed on cbc and then i I was interviewed on a number of different uh stations and it shifted the meaning of that piece for me and even now i look at that piece with a completely divided purpose for not just the community that it was built for, but for the larger picture of hope. Yeah, yeah, and that and that word settled in. I know I saw, um, I saw an Edmonton Journal interview that you did again. And the was fact that, that it's a woman, mm-hmm. uh, you know, yeah. and it, it's not just that women will lead. It's it's a feminine energy that is required. Um, and it, so. It almost felt like, again, this was something that came through me and not from me. Oh, powerful. Thank you. As I said at the outset, we're, 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 blend, we're blending the flavors here. We have spoken a little bit about community. And I think that when I first met you, you were on a, a, a school project. Mm-hmm. You were on a, a, a major commission to, uh, to create some, some beauty in and around Victoria School. 
what I remember about it, and you referenced, you know, you do the work, takes the time it takes, and then you pack yourself up and head off. I think that particular project you were just finishing up in in you know what we now call a heat dome. It was a very hot <laughs> few few weeks in June, and there was major attempts to keep shade over you uh, as you finished. Oh, those, I hope uh, that those happens so often. Front. <laughs> but what I but I but what I want to underscore is the way in which um, you you I, I'll use the verb insisted. I don't know what the negotiation is, but it's just a part of the way in which you went into that project that every member of the community, not every single child, but yes, the children and all of the staff and parents and volunteers were invited to place pieces into the story of that moment in that time. So that to me is the epitome of community. It's the epitome of, um, uh, of artist as one of <laughs> the community, not the special chosen one, mm. perhaps as you say, the conduit. Can, can, can we get you just to, to talk a little bit about where community lives and lies in, your, in, the, in the heart of your art? I, th- I think if I go back far enough, um, because I've always done murals, uh, the bigger the better, as I always said, uh, because then you transform spaces. And I, and I like the feeling of transforming spaces. But as I was doing that, and even when I would travel, I would always try to incorporate or involve as many people as possible because they loved it. And a lot of people don't get that opportunity. And no matter where I was in my travels, if I was sketching on the beach or I was painting murals in hostels, because that's how I did that for a while, it brings out a curiosity. And and who doesn't want to be a part of that? So I I learned quite young that if we can involve as many people as possible, they get to own part of that. And the earliest story, how I got into artist in residency programs was through a a gentleman named Garnet Thomas. And he was doing a mural by my parents' house, which is how um, I met him. And I went down there and said, hey, like, can I help? paint this because I've been traveling and I just want to paint and uh, eventually he gave in and hired me but on that mural it was on St. Monica's school and it's not there anymore but there was a huge tree house that was drawn by Ben and Ben was in grade one and Garnet had chosen his piece of work to put in the mural and Ben came to him at the end of that residency and he said you know I drew this because my dad made me tear down my treehouse that summer, but mm-hmm. you have put it in this picture. So I still get to see it every day. And I think it might've been, that might've been the seed because yeah. the more people you involve, the more people, um, yeah, they get, it's, it's about sharing the ownership. And having that person say, I did that. or And, and it, I still have people that come up to me and say, I know exactly what tile I, tiles I put in and I know where it was or use my drawing or, you know, so it, and uh, who doesn't want to bring people joy like that? Well, and I know, I know that the other word that you have used elsewhere is inclusivity. And, and I had forgotten 
the year that you were in the, that particular school, the, the the theme of mosaic was a school wide learning theme and artistic theme, and and but but more than coming up with clever names for events or or, or you know themes for lesson plans, it really was at the heart of that sense of there are uh, there's a place for every every piece to fit within a mosaic, and 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 that that powerful metaphor of of what that means and that and and it's only i think it's only deepened by acknowledging that the mosaic is made of the broken pieces that find new beauty once they find where they best fit and mm-hmm. so there where truly is this powerful <laughs> inclusivity mm-hmm. in that yeah we mentioned letting go and and that sense of shedding this idea of making space for new space it seems to be a, a really important kind of compass point for you. Yeah, it. I really struggle with the world we live in right now. Um, just so many people trying to get so much done and trying to accumulate so much, thinking that that's what defines their worth. And I don't know if it's, my Buddhist practice or observation, because I do observe it a lot. My poor children have to hear it on a daily basis. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It's not about getting more. It's about getting rid of more and shedding ideas, indoctrinations, dogmas, um, hair, (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, pieces in my mosaic stash. And and I guess it's uh, just the slow shedding of everything that does not serve me. Because if it doesn't serve me, then I get muddled up and and weighed down by unnecessary um, items that that I uh, I don't know. It, it's just it was just something that settled in with me by the end of the Camino. Hmm. But then it yeah. took six months of struggle of what's wrong with me? Why am I not just going back to my regular life and just reintegrating? But it was because I, I I knew I just couldn't do it anymore. Have you experienced this rhythmically throughout the course of your life? Like, is there a is there a pattern that has emerged for you that that, that there's learning in? Yeah, well, it would always happen when I came back from a very long period of backpacking, because I every I did a year through Latin America with tents and backpacks and pots and pans and <laughs> and did a year through Greece, Israel, Egypt. And, and when you realize life is so much easier when you don't have anything weighing you down. Um, and I think that the Camino was a, a return to that state, but also seeing how much better it was with my son at my side and he didn't have baggage either. And I, yeah. and as I'm speaking this, I, th- I think that that's really, I had to, I was going through contractions of pain of trying to fit back in, but release and shed. And, and I think finally um, it hit me that I need to be okay with being uncomfortable because this is where I need to be for now. And, and most people write a book about the Camino and I've probably filled about five or six notebooks about what I experienced just to get me to my mosaics. But I, I suspect I will probably have to, organize those thoughts and ideas one day too. (laughs) (laughs) 
but let us not let us not undervalue the, the piece of art or the or the artistic journey that is laying itself out on your tables. Where do where where? This is not a question I intended to ask, but I've seen the work around areas of a large building. Do you have an external studio you go to? Is it is or or am I looking at the window right now? But in front of you is, is a long boardroom table made up of your Camino pieces. Uh, no, they're all being sort of st- placed on the floor at the moment because I had to leave. I had a studio in Strathern, but turned my entire basement into my studio after okay. we got had to leave there. So I have a garage that's entirely dedicated to materials, which I'm slowly emptying, but. Before starting, I did organize everything so I could physically touch all the pieces and Hmm. put them in order so I knew maybe not consciously what I had, but I knew physically what I had. Yeah, I sensed it as you were saying. Well, so say more about it because I'm not sure to everybody that sense of, and I saw you do it, that the physically touching, you're gesturing that, why was that so very important? More than doing inventory. I, I think it's more than doing it's inventory. It's more than doing, it's doing a, a, a vibrational inventory because when you do mosaic, they have to, the pieces have to be able to dance, right? You can't just put anything next to each other because sometimes there's friction. And so, yeah, laying it out and seeing and looking and touching, but then slowly everything begins to spread out. And I think, oh, no, 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 no. I got to bring it all. I got to rain it all. So ever after finishing each panel, I put the panel down and I tidy up a bit. And then I start hmm. fresh again and I've touched all the materials again, put them back. Um, and then even, and then strange things happen. <laughs> like I needed callas. Because callas, calla lilies grow wild everywhere, and we saw, and I was always just blown away that they're just. I kept saying to Vincent, "These are like five dollars at home," <laughs> you know, <laughs> and he's like, "Whatever, mom," and <laughs> and so I got to a day where I thought I have to represent callas. Oh my gosh, am I going to have to hand render each calla in mosaic? And I was putting the dog bowl down for food and it happens to be a, a bowl from Mexico with callas on it. And I thought, holy mackerel. And so I looked at the dog and I said, sorry, Penny, I got to take your bowl. And I ran downstairs. I dumped her food out and nipped it apart. And I was like, oh man, this is a good day. <laughs> for you, not necessary for the dog. <laughs> So I do have moments where I sort of look around where I'm at and I'm like, well, what about that? <laughs> so oh, that's fabulous. Yeah. That's, <laughs> as we bring this to a close, um, I, I try to end with an opportunity for the guest to be invited to celebrate something within themselves through a bit of an imaginative leap. And I'm trying this year to personalize that even more so. So, Recognizing that, you know, the image of bits and pieces of, of your mosaic work, of all of the of all of the pieces that you have left, uh, lost, loved. If you were to imaginatively leap yourself many years from now, and you received a commission, or you commissioned yourself to create the legacy mosaic to be named Theo, what visual images? Do you hope 
or do you imagine will land somewhere in that landscape? Well, that's an interesting question because I, I, I often don't uh, create my pieces with my needs or wants in them. It's, it's all about the project or the community. But what's happening with what I'm creating now, it's all about what I want. So what I'm doing now is the first time ever that is entirely about what I want. I don't have anyone paying for it. I literally have nobody paying for it. It's like, all right, I don't have a, I don't have a timeline, really. I have a little bit of one. But I, I have gifted myself this um, Camino uh, series entirely from myself. And it and it's this is probably what I, I can't get past it because I'm in the middle of it right now. So I can't yeah. even leap there yeah. because it is the first time that I'm sitting and enjoying and and truly I might I might cry. <laughs> I'm truly creating, I think, for the first time for me. Lovely. So thank yeah, you for feet asking. Feet rooted. Mm-hmm. Uh, Theo, thank you ever so much. It's just it's been so delightful. And, uh, and I, I look forward to, uh, the opportunity to, to, to see, even if it's online, um, some of the work that you're, that you're currently creating and mm. building. Thank you, Greg. Thank you for inviting me to be here with you. Theo's most current show featuring her Camino Mosaic opened last week at the Alberta Council for Ukrainian Arts in Edmonton and runs until April 1st. If you are not able to experience it in person, consider checking out Theo's images of it and many of her other pieces of art on Facebook or Instagram at Painting Theo, or you can visit her Tumblr page at theodoraharasmu.tumblr.com. And remember that Tumblr does not have an E in it. Well, perhaps it was shed along the way. I hope you will share this episode with your own Ellipses Thinking community and subscribe for all other episodes wherever you meet your listening needs. And join me in two weeks' time when I sit down with longtime Cirque du Soleil writer, stage and creative director Krista Monson, acknowledging the drivers of passion, ambition, and what so many artists know to be the fear of the work running out. Krista and I rooted our conversation in what she is coming to understand about taking time for breath gratitude for the gift of wisdom and the healing power of celebrating herself. Ellipses Thinking is a proud member of the Ordinary Podcasting Network. It is produced by Jordan Dowler-Coltman and Greg Dowler-Coltman. You can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Thanks for listening. As a resident of Vancouver Island, I wish to acknowledge that I am a visitor on the traditional lands of the Coast Salish people, including the territories of the Snonoas and Qualicum people. The first peoples have been here for over 10,000 years, their ancestors still here with us in the sky, the land, the ocean, and all of the beings that share this sacred place. As a settler, I gratefully embrace the opportunities for growth as integral to my personal journey of collaboration and reconciliation as I learn and further support the possibilities that lay ahead. I remain committed to practicing my craft 
in a decolonized space.